Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, church. It's so uh, good to be here with you this morning. A uh, special welcome uh, to those of you who might be uh, visiting with us for the very first time. So glad to have you here with us. And as always, it's, gr- it's great to have those of you who are watching us online. And if you're watching us online, go ahead and say hi to us in the comments so we know who's watching us, whether you're watching live or on demand. We're so grateful to have you here with us this morning. And before I get into the message this morning, I want to do two brief things. One, I want to welcome some uh, new members. The, the SSV must always continue to grow because it's God's will and healthy things grow. And so we want to celebrate those who are uh, joining our, our church. We mentioned our beginnings class, and sometimes people take that beginnings class. And this past uh, beginnings class, everybody filled out the membership form like right after the class. They were ready, right? Other times there are folks who have to pray about it and think about it. We apply no pressure whatsoever to those joining the church, but when somebody joins our fellowship, we celebrate. And so we want to give a warm welcome to Stephen and Lisa Boyle uh, and Mike and Jen Archbold. Would you guys wave at us so we know who you are? Uh, thank you so much for being a part of this family. They've, already, uh, uh, they've been a, a, a part of this family for, for a little bit now, but we just want to welcome them formally into the fold as our new members. We also mentioned small groups. And small groups is a really, really important aspect of what we do here. We say around here that small groups are uh, our pastoral care system. And so the pastors in this church, we don't intend to go running around tending to the needs of all the people. We install our pastoral care system, which is our small groups, which are um, groups that meet in homes and some meet in, uh, in this building and some meet through Zoom. And this is an opportunity for us to shrink the church, Right. So that as we grow larger, we can still grow smaller at the same time because real life happens, as we say, in circles and not in rows. You're sitting in rows right now, and beautiful things happen as you sit in rows. You get to listen to the message. You get to fellowship a little bit afterwards. But the real transformational work, the real deep dive into community happens not in rows, but it happens in circles Uh, around dinner tables, around sofas as we talk about our own life and dive into the scriptures. And so these small groups are a unique opportunity to do that. I'm talking about small groups because we are welcoming onto our staff a brand new small group coordinator. And so why don't you give Annie Wilson a a hand as she comes on up. Come on up, Annie. Well, we talk about how important small groups are, and so we don't put our small groups in the hands of just any old scoundrels. So if uh, we've asked Annie to fill this post, it's because she has been with us. She's one of the SSV OGs. She's been with us from day one. And uh, she's a faithful member of this church, and she really cares about small groups. She herself has benefited from small groups. And so we've asked her to steward this ministry, and she's already gotten off to a great start. We've got a great lineup of small groups that are going to launch on the 8th. And we just want to, I want to publicly acknowledge uh, her uh, joining our staff, but I also want you to help me. Uh, and praying for her as she begins this new journey. So would you just extend your hands this way if you can? Father in heaven, we thank you for this church because this church is your idea. We thank you for Annie and her unique gift mix and the ways you've already brought her own unique flavor and vibe to this role. I thank you for the excitement that she brings to this. Father, and I just pray that this would be an awesome year for her. I pray, Father, that there would be a flood of people uh, pressing into small groups, that her work would be light because she's carrying the load with you. And I pray for a whole lot of help as she uh, engages in this ministry. Lord, give her witty ideas, fill her with your spirit, and may she have joy in this journey. Bless her and keep her in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Amy. 
Well, this Sunday is a special Sunday. It's a special day. Anybody guess what today is? It's New Year's, right? And I'm a little surprised to see so many of you here because I assumed you'd be too turned up last night to turn up the church, but you turned up last night and you turned up the church, and so it's an even more special day. Happy New Year, everybody. I get real excited about the new year, not because I like to celebrate and all that sort of stuff. In fact, my kids had to wake me up at midnight uh, so uh, we could enter the new year together. But there's something exciting about standing in the doorway of a brand new year, a fresh 365, a relatively blank canvas on which we can paint whatever we want. There's something exciting about that. I believe it's a gift. It's a gift primarily because some of the folks that walked through the threshold of last year did not walk through the threshold of this year. And so for another other reason that you opened your eyes this morning, that you were able to move around a bit, it's a gift. At our recent VLT meeting, we have a quarterly VLT meeting for all of our vineyard leaders. I said, I remember I said something like, guys, I think this is going to be our best year yet. Of course, my wife's sitting off to the side. She rolls her eyes (laughs) because she said, you say that every year. The eternal optimist. And I said, baby, every year's gotten better, (laughs) right? And so there's something from the Lord within me that says, this is going to be, I think, our best year ever. I just got this sense. Now, I am an optimist by nature, but I do have a sense from the Lord that this will be a good year for us. I don't know what this year holds. Now, it may not be the best year ever, but I hope that it will be the best year possible in so much as it involves me. I don't know what trials will come this year. I don't know what struggles will come this year. I don't know what difficulties are ahead but I want this to be the best year possible for me and for you. And in the spirit of it being a brand new year, I'm eager to begin a brand new teaching series that we're simply calling Start Here. Start Here. And I'll confess that uh, the first Sunday of the year is, is, is usually my, one of my favorite Sundays to preach because it's an opportunity for us to establish what this year is going to be like. I had the temptation of coming loaded up with a whole bunch of slick slogans, but not much of substance rhymes with 23, right? Maybe you can shoot me some ideas if you think of some slick slogans, but I'm gonna spare you the slick slogans because I haven't found that any of that helps. But it's important that we start a brand new year with a new focus. With, 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 with the right energy, with the right purposeful intention. And I think that if you start the year good, you have a better chance of finishing it well. i say it again. If you start the year with purpose, you start the year with intention, the wheels could fall off, but I think you have a better chance um, than if you started it in a haphazard way. I love this image that we have chosen for the graphics for this series. It's this sort of coliseum that looks down on the runner's track. And I love this imagery of life as a race. All throughout my life, I've been hearing some type of comparison to the life we live as a race. And the spiritual life isn't any different. 
The scripture is full of language that frames our life as a race. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the what? The race. I have kept the faith. Galatians 5, 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? There's tons of imagery uh, in the scripture about running a race. And I think it's fitting because that's kind of what this life is about. The race that we call life. But I want to focus this morning at the outset of a brand new year, but not just running the race, but I want to focus us on running your race. I'll say that again. I want to talk to you this morning in the doorway of a brand new year about running your race. God has set before each of us a race for us to run. God has set before each of us a life to live, a unique wiring. He made me and he broke the mold. He made you and he broke the mold and he set before you a path, a race, that only you can run. That is to say that I can't run your race for you. That is to say that you can't run my race for me. That is to say that if you want to fail in life, try to run somebody else's race. If you want to be absolutely horrible and fail miserably in life, try to run somebody else's race. I'm talking about running your race. I'm simply calling this message this morning, Run Your Race. I want to use as a text this morning another one of the passages in Holy Scripture that frame life as a race. I'm going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 1. You can follow along with me on the Bibles that are located on the edge of some of your rows. You can engage also with the Scriptures through your mobile devices uh, you can also follow along as they'll be projected on the screens. Run your race. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, while you find that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the race that you have set before us. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us by your name and you have given us a purpose and you have empowered that purpose with your spirit. Father, I pray that as we enter this new year, as we're here seated under your table, ready to feast on whatever you put on it, Father in heaven, I pray that you would speak clearly to us. As always, I ask, Lord, that you would make our hearts soft landing places for your truth, posture us to receive and to respond, put power on these words that you've given me to speak, move me out of the way, Lord, may I not be a distraction to your word and for your people. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Hebrews chapter 12. Um, and I just want to give you a little bit of uh, context on this, this passage. Unlike many of the other New Testament letters, the authorship, that is who wrote the book of Hebrews, is unknown. Uh, many of the scholars have, through the years have pondered and argued and debated about who it might be. Some say Philip, maybe Barnabas, some say Priscilla. Luke, Jude, and some even say Paul, although most serious scholars uh, say that it can't be Paul for many, many evidences littered throughout the text. And although the authorship of Hebrews is called into question, it's not unclear who this letter is written to. 
The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish communities of Christians who were struggling to maintain faith and commitment to Jesus. And while we may not be Jewish, we fall under the umbrella of Christians who struggle at times to maintain faith and commitment to Jesus. These new believers, these pockets of believers were facing ongoing social pressure to adopt some other version of faith. A faith that had maybe just a little bit of Jesus, that mingled other things, or basically a faith that didn't include Jesus at all. They were dealing with public opposition to their growing faith, and they were dealing with even the rise of physical persecution as a result of their faith in Jesus. Hebrews is, as one commentator put it, an energetic pastoral response to the needs of struggling people. A pastoral response to the needs of struggling people. And in this book, whoever wrote this letter, the author centers Jesus as better than all the other faith options. And he urges his readers, including us, toward a white hot passionate pursuit of the life of faithfulness. Now in the preceding chapter, chapter 11, the author walks us through what some refer to as the hall of faith. The heroes of the Old Testament scripture from Abel to Abraham to Sarah to Joseph, Rahab and Moses, all those who were faithful to God despite the obstacles that were in their way, faithful to God despite the opposition. And so it's in the shadow of chapter 11 that we read the first four verses of chapter 12. It reads as follows. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, the hall of faith, to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this is a fitting text for the hour, is it not? As we are at the doorway of a brand new year, trying to figure out what paint we're going to throw up on this blank canvas that we have before us, what moves we're going to make, what new rhythms we're going to establish, what old stuff we're going to leave in 2022 is a fitting text, is it not? The author taps into this idea of the Christian life as a race, and it works. Let us run this race with endurance, the race that God has set before us. He uses some familiar biblical imagery. And as he does that, faithfully in this text, at least three challenges jump out. And there's three things that I want to explore as we enter this brand new year. Now, I want to give you these things up front so that you can be thinking about it as we walk through this short passage. Three challenges, reduce, focus, persevere. Reduce, focus, persevere. Three challenges, I want to jog through them quickly or relatively quickly. I don't want to mislead you. The first is reduce. 
And this is so important, especially as we enter the threshold of a brand new year. Reduce. To put it a different way, whoever wrote this wants us to travel light as we continue this faith journey with Jesus. If we're embracing this imagery of a race, life as a race, it's true that you can't run well when you're carrying a bunch of stuff. You don't have to be an expert runner to know that you can't run well if you're carrying a bunch of stuff. You can take the most elite athlete, the most elite runner, let's say Usain Bolt, and you say, Usain, you're at the starting line, man, I know you're gonna have a great race. Here's a backpack full of library books, trapper keepers and all sorts of things. Why don't you put this on your back and see how you do? Now, because he's an elite runner, he'd probably still beat me. But he won't run his best race. You take Olympic swimmer Katie Ledecky, who stacked up an impressive amount of medals, just as she's about to fire off for the 800-meter freestyle, you say, Katie, won't you put on this clunky suit with all kinds of drag, stuff this stuff in your pocket, you can put on this backpack and this hat, she still might beat all of us, but the truth is, she will not swim her best race because she's carrying too much stuff. So whoever wrote Hebrews says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up. Strip off the things that you don't need to carry. Another version says, lay aside, reduce. And you might ask, what is it that I need to strip off? What is it that I need to lay aside? The question I throw back at you is, what is slowing you down? What is it that's slowing you down? What is excessive? What is it that you don't quite need in order to run your race? Like book bags and books, trapper keepers, pencils, and that, that stuff is great. But you don't need that to run the race. And some of us have never stopped or we haven't stopped recently to ask, what is it? that is slowing me down. Well, there are obvious things that we need to strip down and reduce and cast aside. Paul says, I shouldn't say Paul, I'm, I keep wanting to say Paul. He says, especially the sin that so easily trips you up. And so the obvious thing, the thing that we can start with is the weight of sin. I love that the old King James puts it. He said, any sin, lay down any sin that easily besets you, easily slows you down, or easily sets you off course. And how do we start to think about sin? We think about the various nouns of life, the people, the places, and the things that influence us and might cause us to go slower than God intended or for us to have these recalculations in our trajectory that get us off course and cause us to miss the mark. The obvious thing that we're supposed to lay down, friends, is the weight of sin. Sins that we commit in our mind and in our heart that eventually come to 
come to fruition as we use our hands and our mouth and our feet and we move in the direction of things that don't glorify God and complicate our press toward the end of the race. Sins of commission, things that we actively do that dishonor God. Sins of omission, things that we've left undone that God would have us to do and lean toward, the author says, especially lay down sin. Reduce the weight that you're carrying because, friends, the truth is, sin slows you down. And that's not news to some of you. It's a helpful reminder as to why you're going as slow as you're going, because sin slows you down. It's an ill-fitting weight that, get this, you were never intended to carry. You say, what? My sin's been with me my whole life. Look, you're in good company, mine too, but my Bible tells me that sin is an intrusion. It's a part of the story, but it wasn't a part of the plan. Now, I'm grateful that God through Christ has enacted a way to deal with the weight of my sin, but I pledge not to participate in the enemy's fight against me. I'm talking about the weight of my sin. And if you're like me, it doesn't take you long to locate that in your life which would fall into this category. If you're like me, it doesn't take the spirit long to put his finger specifically on that which is weighing me down. And my guess is that you've got it in your mind right now. That person who contributes to your delinquency and the moral collapse that you experience regularly. My thought is that it's in your mind. The places that you go that are places where the glory doesn't dwell, that contributes to your drift away from life and godliness. The things, the snacks of life that we've clawed into our cave that comfort us, that complicate God's plan for us, my guess is that you don't need any help locating at least the first five things on the list. Whoever wrote Hebrews said, lay it down. Now I'll resist the urge of drilling too deeply on that because there's another weight that I feel led by the Spirit to address. Whoever wrote Hebrews says, lay down these things, especially sin, which says that there are some things that we're supposed to lay down that might not be categorically sinful. And as I ponder what I might bring and how I might not belabor this point, but bring to you specifically what the Spirit wants to say, I, 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 I can shake this notion that I was supposed to invite you to lay down another weight, another ill-fitting weight, that is not compatible with God's plan for you in 2023, and that is the weight of comparison. And judging by your response, maybe all of us deal with that in some way or other. The weight of comparison. Judging by your sighs and groans, you know that comparison is destructive. 
You know that it's distracting. You know that it's heavy and ill-fitting. It's misleading. It distorts what's before you. It ruins relationship with God, and it ruins relationship with others. It's heavy, but it's also human, is it not? It's also common, and this is how we get off track in life. This is how we get burdened in life. We foolishly look around and ask, who's ahead of me? Who's beating me? Who's killing it in life? Not so I can cheer for them, but so that I might compare myself to them. If you don't fall into that trap, you might foolishly ask, who's behind me? Who am I better than? Because that sort of question can rock you to sleep rather than dealing with your own sin and your own issues. It's real easy to find somebody better that's worse off than you. So you can say, I'm bad, but I'm not David Jacob bad. I just, you just right there, man. I just, who's ahead of me? Who's behind me? Who's beating me? Who am I beating? Would it surprise you to learn that your race has no competition? This is why comparison is such a fool's errand. The race that God has given you to run it has no competition whatsoever. There's only one Geno Allison. And I'm not saying that to kind of like, like it can sound prideful, but that's not what I'm saying. You understand what I'm saying? There's only one, there's only one me. Giovanni, if we, if we ever got into a Geno Allison competition, you're going to lose every time. You might get better. You might try to copy my unique style, my signature swag. You might get close, but you will never beat me at being me. Sister Denise, if we ever got into a a Denise Kudamak competition, try as I might, I will never, ever beat you at being you. Never ever, because there's only one you. What if I told you, and what if you believed there is no competition in your race? What if you lived that out? What would it change? How would you move differently? How would you relate to God and appreciation for who he's made you and where he's sending you? How might you relate differently to other people if you understood that my brother is not my competition, He or she is running his or her own race. I'm running mine. You are not my enemy because we wrestle not what? Against flesh and blood. You are not my enemy because my race has no competition. This is a both freeing and complicating reality. It's freeing because imagine walking through life without any competition. Imagine only buying clothes because you like how they look and not because that's the thing to buy. Imagine being able to celebrate with somebody else when they win rather than seeing their win as your loss. Imagine how that might change the game. Imagine how it might free you up to mind your own business 
and tend to your own affairs. Imagine how your approach to social media might change. You might shut it off because it might complicate this new understanding that life is not a race. Now let me just say, I understand that some of us were socialized to view life this way. Some of us were socialized to, and spiritually formed in a way by parents and teachers and disciples to see the world this way. That my father would tell me all the time, man, nobody can beat you being you. He called me blood. Blood, nobody can beat you being you. There's only one you. And he would urge me toward greatness. He would say, man, I hope you run circles around me in life. You're supposed to be a way better father than I'm supposed to. You're supposed to be a way better husband. Your church is supposed to be way better than mine. Life is not a competition. There can be multiple winners. There are more than one medal. But others of you, you didn't grow up in homes like that. In fact, your parents and disciples in their brokenness even pit the siblings against each other. And through their own brokenness, maybe they didn't tend to, but they taught you that life was a competition. Through their own brokenness, they might have uh, lifted up one sibling. They might have intended to motivate, but they taught you that this is, this is a competition, that everybody in the world is your rival. You better get in where you fit in. And so you see the world today through those lenses. You engage a life, even a life of faith. You're running your race as if you're running against other people and you're tired because that's heavy. And you're not supposed to run your race with that backpack on, with those boots on. Lay down comparison. It's freeing, but it's also complicating. <laughs> Because, as you know, in any race, what drives you forward with willful intention is the fact that there's somebody <laughs> in the other lane. Some external thing motivating you, and you say, oh, there's no competition. I can chill. I don't have to be urgent. I don't have to press forward. And so this view can complicate it. Uh, but I'm going to give you a question to ask that's gonna keep you externally motivated as you run your race. And that question is this, where is Jesus as I run this race? Where is Jesus? What's his standard, generally speaking? What's his standard? What's his unique Gino custom plan for my life that he broke the mold when he made it. What is that? Where is Jesus? What is his timeline for my life? I must locate Jesus as I run my race. He's the only one I care about. Is he standing up clapping at my performance? Or is he like a good coach giving me that scowl that says, press in, son, fix your gate, boy. Focus on what's ahead of you. Where is Jesus? Because if Jesus is cheering for me as I run my race, it doesn't matter who's frowning at me. 
And if Jesus is frowning at me as I run my race, it doesn't matter who's cheering for me. Where is Jesus? And this might inform what I reduce my focus down to. What I decide to carry and what I decide to lay down as I decide to travel light. Where's Jesus? Now this drives us to the second thing I see. The second challenge we've talked about reducing. The second thing is focus. Focus. Focus, preacher, on what? Focus, preacher, on who? I just told you. Jesus. Verse 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on who? Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Jesus is my hero. Jesus is, as we said a few weeks ago, our eternal example. Our eternal example of how to live this life. And I confess to you that I like Jesus. I imagine him as I put the scriptures together and I create a moving picture in my mind of who Jesus was. I picture a cool, like a cool customer. Not like fake cool, not like wearing sunglasses on the inside cool. I, 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 I'm talking about a cool, like comfortable in his own skin cool. You ever know a cat like that? It's got their own unique style. They're not checking for who's checking for them. They're comfortable in their own skin. And they just move through life with ease. You know anybody like this? I picture Jesus as this person with, a, with an interesting single-mindedness that helps him move through life with an appropriately narrow focus. This is the kind of person I want to be. I want to be conscious of who's around me, conscious and aware of what's going on around me. And of course, I care what people think. Anybody ever tell you, I don't care what people think? You say, did you brush your teeth this morning? You care. Your clothes match. Your hair's done. You care. It's okay to care. But the trick is not to care too much. But when I focus on Jesus and the way he lived his life, Jesus' decisions were uniquely easy to make because he lived such a principled life and his focus was so narrow. And so not only do we look at Jesus as an eternal example of how to live this life, this earthly life, and to come out on top, we focus on him because Jesus is the center of it all. Jesus, the king, and his kingdom is what the scriptures tell us to focus on. Jesus himself says, seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Keep your eyes fixed, keep your gaze fixed on Jesus, and it will inform how you run what? Your race. You say, preacher, that sounds like a lot of preacher talk, but how do we practically, meaningfully, keep our eyes on Jesus? How do we practically, meaningfully keep our eyes on the things of the kingdom? Well, there are many ways I can answer that question, but I just want to give you three brief things. As we, at the doorway of a brand new year, you're trying to figure out new rhythms, new patterns. Let me tick off three things real quick. First is through Holy Scripture. Uh, just the Scripture. The Word of God. 
Scripture says, a lamp to our feet, a light into our path. It's harder to go wrong when you're living a life that is tethered to the Scripture. And when I say Scripture, I might also add through Christ-centered preaching. Christ-centered preaching, whether it's in person or online, whether it's uh, through a devotional app or podcast of other preachers, Christ-centered preaching that isn't trying to give you some feel-good, you know, empty calories, Christian snacks, but rather would root your life in the challenge and encouragement of the word. Faithful scripture helps you keep your eyes on Jesus. Reminding you what is true, reminding you what is good, reminding you what is righteous and pure. Scripture cuts you and heals you, and the same in the same slice. Provides a full length mirror so that you might see who you really are, and it measures you not up against who's ahead of you or behind you, but it measures you up against the immovable standard. That is Jesus Christ. Holy Scripture. Fused with the Spirit of God, the living Word will read your mail. And it's one of the elements that God uses to keep us right and to keep us focused. Another element is prayer. And we'll talk more about this in a few weeks. There's Timothy 5, 17 that pray constantly. Pray constantly. That is, that we have a posture of communicating with God. Not just when we want something, not just when we go to the prayer vending machine and put our little prayer in and then boop, 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 and our little snack drops. But a posture of prayer, and I'll tell you as the preacher that this is hard to do. I know you imagine me just 24-7 in my closet with my shawl over my head, just praying in the spirit. That's not, sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes it's a press, and yet it is what you and I need. Again, more on that in a couple of weeks. But the other factor here is community, the gathering of believers. What we're doing right now and what we'll start on the 8th, connecting with other people who will rub off on each other. If it's a healthy community, for the better. Because at the center of a healthy community is Scripture. Is prayer, is that healthy dose of challenge and encouragement? And it's not just something you'd benefit from, it's something you need. It is something you need. Good Christian community will help you fix your eyes, fix your gaze on Jesus. Some of y'all just need some good friends this year. that will speak truth to you. That, 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 that their lives is wrapped up in your success. That you have a personal investment of you not driving off the cliff of life. You need a friend, just one will change your life, just one. Community, as we what? Focus on what's most important and that is Jesus. As a songwriter wrote, if you turn your eyes toward Jesus, look full on his wonderful face, the things of earth will go right, 
they'll grow strangely dim. Focusing on Jesus sets our priorities in a way that are not just helpful, but they are necessary focus. So reduce, focus, final thing is that we persevere. That we persevere to continue in a course of action even in the face of difficulty or even though it might seem that there are little or no prospects of success, we persevere. This is so important in the race called the Christian life because this race, as much of it is not a sprint, it is a marathon. It is at times a long, meandering road, a long, meandering course where progress often comes at painfully slow increments. It's a marathon. And the scriptures tell us that this race isn't given to those who are swift or those who are strong or those who look really good in their uniform. The, the, the race is given to those who cross the finish line, who finish the race, who endure. And the best advice I've ever gotten as a young aspiring church planter was to not Some wise old bird said to me, look, 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 the difference between you and all them guys and gals that are going to wash out is that you will just be in the small percentage of those who just didn't quit for whatever reason. Steve Nicholson, one of my church planning coaches, would say to me, Gino, persistence usually wins in the end. Just be persistent. Just be around when the race is over. Pace yourself, son, <laughs> but endure. Scripture says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him, he what? Endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. He gives us, whoever wrote this, gives us a picture of Jesus. All the stuff in his way, all the things that would complicate and frustrate his purpose and his destination to the cross, which would serve the greater good, not just for the glory of God, but for the well-being of all of humanity, past, present, and future. Jesus knew what he had to do, and so he was able to do what? Endure. Because he was able to focus on what he was here for. He was able to focus on the kingdom of God and the righteous fruit that would be produced he was able to, dis, to endure the cross despite the shame and burden of it all. I don't know that you can run well without working on your endurance. And for some of us, this is our main issue. Your main issue isn't that you're not smart, plenty smart. Your issue isn't that you're not nice. Your issue isn't that you don't love the Lord. Many of you, you, you love the Lord. Many of you, your issue is that you are just, you're just so stoppable. And that we haven't worked on our endurance. I mean, you know, if you don't work on your endurance, you won't endure. You say, how do I work on my endurance for this long race? Well, you just run and finish the short races. And that's all life is. 
It's just this long stretch of mini races that you complete, complete one after the other. And some of us, and I say this with all affection, we are just, we are just so stoppable when it comes to the things of God. When it comes to those high priority matters, just anything can keep you from like the things of God. And he said, preacher, give me some, like, how do I work on that? You know what, you, if you start a small group session, you finish a small group session. I say this, you see this all the time, I get the attendance report, and like the small groups are bursting with people in the first two weeks, and like sometimes they just limp across the finish line with just a few people. What happens? Life happens. Because you decided that I'm going to see how I feel when I get home to see if I'm going to go. I'm going to see how much money I got left over to see if I'm going to sow and be generous. I'm going to decide how, I'm going to see how fine the brothers and sisters are at this party I'm going to before I determine like what my sexual ethic will be at the end of the night. And I think that the type of endurance that we're required to have in order to do well requires that we square some things away at the outset of the race. I will not quit this. I will not flake out on this. And you can apply this to all the things in your life, spiritual, relational, in your family, vocationally. And I'm going over my time, and, I, and I'm sorry, but, but, but some of you, if you look behind you, there is a trail of, 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 of false starts. There's a trail of employers, and all of them had an issue. They done had seven jobs in four years. You done been to seven churches in three years. And if you tell the story, all of them were crazy. And I said, all of them? What are the odds that all of them are nuts? Because the only thing that's common in this story And so some of us at the outset of this brand new year, we will say, I, I won't quit. I will endure. And rather than seeing my Christian life as this long race, I'll see it as these short bursts, these checkpoints that I need to cross so that I might be faithful into the end. I'm not going to make some massive goal this year. I'm just going to finish the few things that God has set before me. I'm going to fix my eyes on him, and I am going to, as Paul put it, I'm going to press. I'm, to, I'm not going to get weary, as Paul said, of doing good. And worship team, you can make your way up because I'm over my time. Don't you know that God has budgeted? He's budgeted for our weariness. He knows that we'll get tired. And he says to us, those of us who wait on the Lord will renew our strength. Even young men will get weary. Young lions are going to grow tired. But those that hope in the Lord 
will get what? They'll get their second wind. Those that wait on the Lord, those who are focused, those who choose only to carry that which they're supposed to carry, those who are focusing on their race and not looking at somebody else's lane, they will still get tired, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And they will do what? They will endure. Well, you need to press through this year. What do you need to endure? What struggles or foes or oppositions do you need to faithfully outlast in this new year? I'm talking to you. And so as we put this all together, we're challenged to reduce, to travel light, to strip off. Obviously, we're talking about sinful things, sinful patterns, sinful rhythms, sinful behaviors, all the sinful nouns of life, strip it off. But also, we're going to lay down the weight of comparison. We're going to focus and fix our eyes on Jesus, our eternal example. Seek the kingdom first. And we're going to persevere. We're going to press. Now, if that was easy, you'd have done it already. If that was easy to do, you'd have had a different 2022. But here we are with a fresh 365. I hear the Spirit saying, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to run your race this year? Fused with purpose, empowered by the Spirit, how are you going to run your race? That's between you and the Lord. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We know that without your help, Lord, this is all self-help. This is all some fortune cookie wisdom, as David says. But with you, these things are possible. With you, we can have a different kind of year. We don't know what's ahead of us, but we know who goes with us. We know who goes before us to make the crooked places straight. So help us to reduce. Help us to focus. Help us to persevere. Help us, Lord, as the song says, to build our life upon you that we might bear much fruit. Come Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said.